0: Welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. We've got another busy episode for you today. All three leagues that I cover on this podcast are poised to have dramatic conclusions to the season. The Primavera are in a tight race to qualify for the promotion playoff. We'll cover our last two Primavera matches in Part 1. The feminina will be playing for survival on the final match day of the season, which is on Saturday. I covered most of that last episode, but I will quickly preview our final match against Roma in Part 2. I'll also provide an update on the latest news around Napoli and Serie A. And of course, the men's team are competing for a Champions League place. That will be determined on the final match day of the season. We'll preview that match in part 3. So let's start with the Primavera who played 2 games since our last Primavera update which was a Primavera special. You'll have to forgive me I completely missed our last game against Lecce which was on Friday the 14th of May. I think I was so focused on the men's and women's teams that it completely slipped my mind. That was our match day 12 makeup game against Lecce. Both sides had quite a bit to play for in this match. Starting with Lecce, heading into this match day, they were sitting in second place on 40 points. That was one point behind league leaders Pescara, though Pescara have a game in hand on Lecce. Only the winner of the league is automatically promoted. The second and third place teams in each of the groups play in a promotion playoff. Of course, we are competing for that second playoff position in Group B. Heading into this match, we were tied with Antella on 32 points. And three points clear of Spezia, who were on 29 points. We also had a game in hand on each of those clubs. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Lecce lined up in a 4-2-3-1 with Alexandru Borbe in goal. Mattia Cucci and Ilario Monterizi started at center back. Emine Hasic played at left back while Mats Lemenz started at right back. Sergio Mazzelli and Christian Macri started together in the double pivot. Leonardo Trezza started on the left wing, Cataline Vulturar started on the right wing, Mattia Felici started in the 10 spot, and Noah Krohn started at striker. For Napoli, Emanuel Cascione made five changes to the squad he fielded against Frosinone. He lined up in the 4-4-2 again with Huberi Dasiak in goal. Oscar Guarino started over Jonathan Spedalieri at centre-back alongside Davide Costanzo. Flavio Romano started at left-back, and Benedetto Barba started over Vincenzo Potenza at right-back. frando Sami returned to the starting eleven to play in the center of the midfield. That pushed Antonio Virgilio to center-left and relegated Riccardo Cataldi to the bench. Valerio Labriola started on the left wing and Antonio Vergara started over the injured Antonio Chofi on the right wing. Chofi is currently out with a thigh injury. Finally, Gennaro Iacchirino started over Giuseppe Ambrosino. Apparently, Ambrosino is injured as well, though I haven't been able to confirm what that injury is. Iaccherino started alongside Giuseppe D'Agostino up top. So those were the starting lineups, and next let's get to the match. Lecce went immediately on the front foot and nearly opened the scoring only 3 minutes into the match. Felici played a long ball over the top to Trezza who got behind our back line. He let the ball bounce before firing with his right foot into the bar and out. That didn't stop Lecce though, only 2 minutes later they went ahead. Once again, Felici was involved in the play. He dribbled around Baraba before cutting the ball back to Krohn around the penalty spot. He very calmly controlled the ball and tucked his shot into the bottom corner to put Lecce ahead. Lecce continued to dominate in the early stages. In the ninth minute, Lecce crossed the ball into the area from the right side of the midfield. Krohn used a great bit of ingenuity, dropping to one knee and chesting the ball perfectly into the path of Trezza, Fortunately, Idasiak was really quick off his line and made the save, but just like earlier in the match, only 2 minutes later, Lecce found the back of the goal. Chuchi lobbed the ball forward for crone at the edge of the area, he grappled with Barba before going to ground, and Lecce was awarded a penalty. To make matters worse, Barba was shown a yellow, which meant he would miss our next match due to yellow card accumulation. Felici stepped up and sent Idasek the wrong way, so only 11 minutes into the match, Lecce were already ahead 2-0. We woke up after that second goal and then the game was pretty back and forth after that. Our first chance came in the 11th minute from a free kick just outside the area but Labriola's shot sailed just over the bar. Lecce came right back at us in the 16th minute and should have added a third after some gorgeous passing in the build-up. Felici held up the play on the left wing before squaring to Mazzelli at the edge of the area. He played a quick, incisive pass to Trezza, who was played onside by Guarino. Trezza had only the keeper to beat, which he did, but his shot hit the upright. The ball rolled back across the face of the goal to Trezza, but his second effort was a weak one that Idasiak stopped easily. We got our first clear-cut chance about midway through the half. Barba played a gorgeous diagonal through ball to Labriola who was 1v1 with Borbe. Labriola hit the ball fully but the shot was straight at Borbe, and the keeper made the save. Aside from a few audacious attempts from Lecce, neither side did much for the next 20 minutes. Then in the 41st minute the Azzurini pulled one back, the play started with Iaccarino who made a brilliant turn to lose the Lecce defender inside Napoli's half. That gave him the entire midfield to carry the ball through before chipping to D'Agostino on the left wing. D'Agostino played a perfectly weighted ball ahead of Labriola's run toward the near post. Labriola hit the ball first time and curled his shot into the side netting at the far post. That gave us some momentum and we nearly equalized before the half. Vergara played the ball out wide to D'Agostino. He made a quick move to dribble past the legend defender before curling his right-footed shot towards the far post. Unfortunately, the shot didn't have enough bend and finished just wide of the mark. Lecce responded with a chance of their own in stoppage time, taking advantage of a poor pass by Guarino. Krohn was played through on the right side of the area, but his shot towards the near post was stopped by Dasiak. That was the final chance of an action-packed first half, which ended 2-1. Things went from bad to worse in the second half. Only a minute into the half, Barba had to be removed due to injury. Surely he would have played the entire match knowing that he would be suspended for the next one. Vincenzo Potenza entered in his place. Then in the 55th minute we were awarded a penalty after Mazzetti fouled Labriola in the area. Labriola took the penalty himself but his shot was a little too central and Borba made the save. The rebound fell for Virgilio but Borba popped up to his feet and stopped Virgilio's shot as well. The back and forth continued after that, in the 60th minute Lecce came close after Potenza conceded possession in our own end, Crone played Vulturadi through, he dribbled past the dasik and managed to put his shot on target from a very tight angle but Costanzo slid in to clear the ball off the line. Then we had a big moment in the match in the 68th minute, Labriola appeared to be fouled in the area by Monterizi, but instead Labriola was shown a yellow card for a simulation. Once again, Labriola was very involved in this match. Five minutes later, he put his corner kick directly on target, but Borbet was sharp and pushed the ball over the bar. We had multiple attempts, missed the target after that, and then we had a fittingly wild end to the match. We won a corner kick in the final minute of stoppage time. Everyone got forward, including goalkeeper Idasiak. Sammy played an outswinging cross from the right side. Idasiak, of all people, won the header, but his shot hit the upright and stayed out. So even though Lecce played well, we easily could have taken a point from this match. We missed a penalty, we had a questionable decision not toward a penalty, and we hit the upright in the final minute. That said, Lecce did hit the frame of the goal twice as well. Fortunately, Spezia lost their makeup game against first place Pescara on Saturday, so they didn't gain any ground on us. That brings us to our final makeup game which was on Wednesday. That was our round 18 makeup game against Crotone. Crotone came into this match in 8th place, but they were on 26 points, which was only 6 points behind us. With 3 games remaining, they still had a chance to reach that 2nd playoff spot, so this was a 6-pointer, and we came into the match with a depleted squad. As I mentioned, Barba was suspended after picking up that yellow against Lecce, Chofi, Furina, and Ambrosino were all out injured, and Costanzo was not available because he was training with the senior team. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Crotone lined up in a 4-3-3 with Francesco D'Alterio in goal. Mattia Brescia and Sergio Iacopi started at center back. Andrea Emerize started at left back and Massimiliano Mignogna started at right back. Andrea Palermo started as the regista with Mattia Trimoneri to his left and Antonio Ranieri to his right. Alessandro Maizano played on the left wing. Andrea Frustaglia played on the right wing and Enrico Trotta played at striker. For Napoli, Cashone made three changes to the squad that he fielded against Lecce, and he switched to a 4-3-3. Huberi Dasiak started again in goal. Most of those changes were to the back line. Flavio Romano was the only defender to start in both matches. Jonathan Spedalieri started over Costanzo, and Raffaele Virgilio dropped from the midfield into center back to start over Guarino. Vincenzo Potenza started over the suspended Barba at right back. Ricardo Cataldi came back into the starting 11 to play as the Regista with Brando Sami to his left and Vincenzo Iaccarino dropping into the midfield to play to his right. Valerio Labriola and Antonio Vergara shifted slightly higher up the pitch to play on the left and right wings respectively. And finally, Giuseppe D'Agostino played as the false nine. With Chofi, Furina and Ambrosino all out, right winger Domenico Di Dona and center forward Antonio Pesce were called up from the U17 squad. So those were the starting lineups, next let's get to the match. This will be a bit of a short match report, unfortunately even the highlights were not available so I'm relying on the live text updates from imnaples.it. The first half was fairly uneventful, it was a tense start to the match, even one of Crotone's assistant coaches was cautioned. Crotone went ahead in the 34th minute with Frustalia scoring from a direct free kick, that was the only goal of the first half, which finished 1-0 for Crotone. Napoli responded well though, only 10 minutes after the restart, Cataldi scored his second goal of the season to make the score 1-1. Unfortunately, Crotone went back ahead 10 minutes after that. Frustalia scored his second of the match, putting away the cross. Cascione emptied his bench in an attempt to salvage at least a point. He even brought on Donna and Pesce, but it wasn't in the cards. Despite playing 6 minutes of stoppage time, we couldn't find the equalizer and this match ended for Crotone so we've begun to sputter as we approach the end of the season we lost both of our makeup games which were opportunities to put some space between us and the clubs that are chasing us we've picked up only one point from our last three matches and suddenly there are six teams competing for one playoff spot we are at the top of that pack on 32 points tied with Entella Crotone and Spezia are next on 29 points Frosinone fought their way back into the race, they're unbeaten in their last 6 games with 3 wins and 3 draws, even Cosenza still has a chance, they are currently on 24 points but they have 3 games in hand. Of their 5 games remaining, 3 of them are against teams at the bottom of the table in Benevento, Pisa and Regina so they definitely cannot be counted out. So long as Cosenza don't win out, we control our destiny just like our men's and women's teams do amazingly we own the tiebreaker on every single one of those clubs chasing us our next match is a very winnable one against bottom of the table team salernitana that is on saturday at 3 p.m local time or 9 a.m eastern time then we close the season with a big game against spezia so there will be plenty of drama in all three leagues that we cover that will do for part one in part two we'll cover the latest news Siamo noi, coi nostri mondi in testa, tutti ostili e pericolosamente confinanti. Siamo noi, un po' paladini della giustizia, un po' pure briganti. Siamo noi, spaccati e disuguali. Siamo noi, frammenti di colore, sfumature dentro un quadro da finire. Siamo noi, che non ci vogliono lasciar stare. Siamo noi, che non vogliamo lasciarli stare. Siamo noi, visibili, sfumature in grado di cambiare il mondo. Di far incontrare il cielo e il mare il tramonto siamo noi frammenti di un insieme ancora tutto. Da- start part 2 with some news. Former club president Corrado Ferlaino turned 90 this week. Our more senior Napoli fans would definitely know all about Ferlaino. If you've only started following Napoli more recently, Ferlaino was responsible for bringing Maradona to Napoli. Our younger fans might know him as well, particularly those who have read John Ludden's book Once Upon a Time in Naples or watched Asif Capedia's documentary entitled Diego Maradona that was based on that book. You would all know that Ferlaino was under a lot of pressure to do something in the mid-80s because the club was in pretty dire shape. His relationship with Maradona was a complex one, which is something I'll speak about in a future episode. But Ferlaino did tell Radio Kiss Kiss that this is his first birthday in a while without Maradona, and that saddens him, so he tries not to think about it. This week, we did get some unfortunate news on the passing of Maradona. A number of sources were reporting on this, but I first saw it on ESPN, Apparently, seven medical professionals have been charged with, quote, simple homicide and eventual intent in the death of Maradona. The report says that audio of private conversations between doctors and people from Maradona's entourage were leaked to the media and indicate that Maradona was not being properly looked after prior to his death. According to ESPN, the prosecutor's office appointed a medical board to determine if there was evidence of culpable homicide from Maradona's medical team. The board revealed in a report that the medical team who attended Maradona prior to his death acted in a, quote, inappropriate, deficient, and reckless manner and left him, quote, to his own devices. Now, it's important to note that being charged does not mean being guilty. They still have to be tried, but if they are found guilty they can face up to 25 years in prison. The seven people include two nurses, a nurse coordinator, a doctor, and a psychologist. Leopoldo Luque, the neurosurgeon who operated on Maradona two weeks prior to his passing, is amongst those who is charged, as is his psychologist Augustina Kozachov. Moving on, I'm not going to comment on transfer rumors. We're linked to a number of players as is always the case at this time of the year, I'll get more into the transfer rumors after the season ends. I'm also not going to talk about who might be the next coach. The truth is nobody knows and anyone who claims to know otherwise is lying to you. What I will say about the coaching situation is that journalist and commentator Carlo Alvino thinks that De Laurentiis will announce who the coach will be in early June. Reading the quote though, this seems more like pure speculation. I didn't get the sense that he had some sort of inside information or anything like that. He cited that when we signed Ancelotti, he signed his contract in Vancouver, Canada, so there was no need to go to Phil Mauro, and for that reason, he thinks this can be done relatively quickly. We have a bit of news from Serie A as well. If you happen to catch the Coppa Italia final, you might have noticed Francesco Totti was in attendance. Earlier in the week, Serie A announced the creation of the Serie A Ambassadors, who are ex-Serie A legends that will participate in league-run events to promote Serie A. Totti is one of them. Others in the first group of ambassadors, some of whom were at the Coppa Italia final as well, are Vincent Candela, Ciro Ferrara, Marco Materazzi, Andrei Shevchenko, Luca Toni, Christian Vieri, and Gianluca Zambrotta. On a more serious note, a few Serie A referees could be in trouble. The AIA released a statement saying they found some accounting inconsistencies in some of the expenses claimed by some of its members. There are seven officials under investigation, including Fabrizio Pasqua, Federico Lapena, and Ivan Ropilota, all of whom are suspended this weekend for precautionary reasons while the investigation is completed, so we will keep an eye on that story. I'll close part 2 with a quick preview of our final femminile match of the season. This match could determine whether we stay up in Serie A or get relegated. Like our men's team, if we win, we're safe. If we don't win, then our fate will depend on the outcome of the San Marino-Fiorentina match, which will be happening concurrently. Both matches will be played on Saturday at 12.30pm local time, which is 6.30am Eastern Standard Time. Hopefully you get to hear this episode before the game. Admittedly, we're pretty tight for time. If we draw, then we will still stay up if San Marino loses or draws as well. The same applies if we lose. We're one point clear of San Marino, but we own the tiebreaker, which means even if we lose and they draw, we will survive. Both of us have tough matches to finish the season. We play against Roma and San Marino play against Fiorentina. Roma haven't won in their last three matches, but those matches included Juventus and Milan, who are clearing away the top two teams in the league. The other was a draw against Florentia. Roma will also be looking ahead to their next match, which is the Coppa Italia final against Milan on May 30th. Meanwhile, Fiorentina have won four of their last five games. Funny enough, the only game they didn't win was against Roma. For our starting lineup, I think we'll see the exact same 11 that we saw against Hellas Verona because that really is our best 11. For that match, Sabrina Tasselli started in goal. The only position I'm unsure about is center back. I know Alexandra Hewn picked up a yellow card in our last match, and it's possible she's suspended for yellow card accumulation. I can't confirm that because it's next to impossible to find stats anywhere. If she's not suspended, she will definitely be in the starting 11. Gomi Arnodotir left the Verona game with an injury, so we'll see if she's fit to play. If not, Paola Di Marino will likely start in her place. Martina Fusini will likely play at left-back and Elisabetta Oliviero will start at right-back. Sara Huche will start in the center of the midfield with Eleonora Goldoni to her left and Emma Eriko to her right. Jenny Hillman will start on the left wing and Federica Cafferata will start on the right wing. Finally, Izo Noki should start again as the false nine. As far as predictions go, I will go with a 2-2 draw and I'll give our goals to Sarah Houshey and Izota Noki. I also think San Marino will lose to Fiorentina, which means we will stay up. If we do, that would be a rather remarkable accomplishment when you consider that we picked up only one point through the first 14 rounds of the season. So that will do for this preview. Best of luck to our women. In part 2, we'll preview the final men's game of the season against Hellas Verona. Quando vive il campo non esce mai, non da abilisci, so se Fatto coraggio, si è lungo e asciugare il drone, fin da sto viaggio Non pensi arrivare, sento il e da non parte si oggi, non danno papà. La strada final part we'll do our final match preview of the season this is of course the most important match of the campaign perhaps when the season is over we'll look back and say that other matches were more important but at this very moment This match is all that matters. I mentioned last episode that I would run through the different scenarios between this game, the Juve game, and the Milan game. There are 27 scenarios in total, so I'm not going to walk you through every single one of them here. If you're interested in that, check out my Twitter account. I posted a graphic there showing all the different outcomes. But I'll still give you a quick summary here. First and foremost, if we win, we're in, regardless of what happens in the other matches. Gab Marcotti put it in the simplest way on the Gab and Jewel show. He put it this way. If we get the same result or better than Juve, we are in. Juve can only get in if they win and one of us or Milan drop points. That wouldn't be so far-fetched when you consider that Milan are playing Atalanta. There is one scenario where all three teams finish tied on points. That would happen if we lose, Milan lose, and Juve draw. That would trigger a mini-league to determine who advances. The first tiebreaker in the mini-league is head-to-head points. That wouldn't settle anything. All three teams have two wins and two losses in the head-to-head tournament or six points. The second tiebreaker is goal differential in the mini-league, which puts Milan at the top at plus four. Both Napoli and Juve have a goal differential of minus one in the mini-league, so we would go to the next tiebreaker, which is overall goal differential in the league. Heading into this match, our goal differential in the league was plus 25 compared to Juve's plus 36, so ours is better by 9 goals. This three-way tie situation would only occur if we lose and Juve draw, meaning their goal differential would remain at plus 36, so the only way for Juve to surpass us in the mini league is if we lose this match to Hellas Verona by 10 goals or more, which is obviously not going to happen. It goes without saying that Champions League qualification is extremely important to us, but I'll give you a few reasons why. Without a doubt, the most important reason is because of the revenues associated with playing in the Champions League compared to playing in the Europa League. I retweeted a great article by Calcio Napoli 24 that broke down in great detail how those numbers are calculated, which is fairly complex, but based on their math, Napoli would earn approximately 57 million euros more by playing in the Champions League. That is absolutely massive and that's part of the reason why it's difficult to take any transfer rumors seriously right now. Our transfer strategy, including which players we may purchase and which players we may sell, depends on the outcome of this match. The same goes for coaches. The upper echelon coaches earn significantly higher wages, so that would be an easy way to reduce costs if we don't qualify for the Champions League. The other reason is you won't attract the top players and coaches if you're not in the Premier Club competition. Take Max Allegri, for example, who we've been linked to lately. I personally don't think he's coming to Napoli either way. I think Juve or Real Madrid are more likely, but I can tell you definitively that he will not come to Napoli if we're not in the Champions League. So again, it goes without saying, but I'll say it to you again anyways, this is a massive, massive match. Hellas Verona, meanwhile, have absolutely nothing left to play for, and they come into this match in rather poor form. They haven't won in their last eight matches, picking up four draws and four losses. In fact, Verona have been dreadful for the entire second half of the season. Only three teams have fared worse in the second half of the season. They are Crotone, Benevento, and Parma, all of whom have been relegated. And yet, remarkably, Verona are still in tenth in the table, which tells you how good they were in the first half of the season. They could lose that 10th position if they lose to us and Bologna beat Juventus, which would actually be great for us. So maybe that gives Verona some motivation to compete here because like I said, they otherwise have nothing left to play for. So with that said, let's get to the starting lineups. Ivan Juric returns to the Verona bench after being suspended for the Bologna match. It's hard to find stats on coaches suspensions, but if I had to venture a guess I'd say Juric is probably at the top of that list. He will line up in his usual 3-4-2-1 formation. Ivor Pandur has started over Marco Silvestri for three straight matches, so I'll go with Pandur to starting goal. Juric has been rotating between four centre-backs. Corey Gunter and Federico Ceccherini have been the regular starters lately, so I think they will both start. Federico Di Marco and Pavel Davidovitz have alternated in the other spot. I'll go with Di Marco to start again since he scored against us in the previous meeting. Gian Giacomo Magnani is also an option, but he hasn't played much lately, so I think he will be on the bench. Darko Lazovic and Davide Faraoni have been regular starters at the left and right side of the midfield, respectively. Ivan Illich will likely start in the center of the midfield alongside one of Daniel Bessa, Stefano Sturaro, and Adrian Temez. I'll go with Temez to get the start. Antonin Barak is suspended for this match, so I think we'll see Matthias Zaccani play with Eddie Salcedo as the two trequartisti. Perhaps we'll see Kevin Lasagna play with Zakhani, though that seems a little too aggressive for Eurich. Finally, Nicola Kalini should start up top. He scored his second goal of the season against Bologna. For Napoli, Gennaro Gattuso will line up in his usual 4-2-3-1, as he always does. It looks like Alex Meret has finally secured the starting role in goal, so I expect him to close out the season. Kalidou Koulibaly is still training in the gym, so do not expect him to play. At best, he will be on the bench, and I'm not even expecting that. Nikola Maksimovic has recovered from COVID, but he's been out for three matches and hasn't played a single minute since April 3rd, so at best, he will be an option off the bench. The partnership of Amir Rachmani and Kostas Manolas has worked well, so expect them to start together again. LCT Sae is clearly preferred over Mario Rui, and I think deservedly so. He will start at left-back. Giovanni Di Lorenzo will start at right back. I never thought I'd say this, but I'm rather torn about who will start with Fabian Ruiz in the double pivot. Diego Deme has been excellent this season, but Tiamoi Bakayoko has started the last two matches and seems to have rediscovered his form. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Bakayoko starts again. The other question mark is who will start on the right wing. For the last five matches, Gattuso has alternated between Chuki Lozano and Matteo Politano. Politano started the last match, so I will go with Lozano to start this one. Lorenzo Insigne will start on the left wing, Piotr Zelensky will start in the 10th spot, and Victor Osman will play at Striker. So those are our starting lineups. Next, let's get to our three keys to the match. Our first key to the match is we need to keep calm. Nerves will undoubtedly be high for such an important match, but for the first time in a very long time, I am not so concerned about this. All season long, the so-called experts have talked about how, for all his weaknesses, Gattuso is a great motivator. Personally, I think the criticisms of his tactics have been a bit harsh as well. There's definitely room for improvement there, and I think he will improve tactically over time, but I also don't think he's as bad as some people suggest. Ironically, the motivating coach is far more important in this match than the tactical coach, at least in my opinion, because if we don't show up ready to play, no tactics will save us. Our second key to the match is we can't make the same mistakes we made last time we played Hellas Verona and to be honest there's no reason to expect that. We had a dream start to that match with Lozano scoring only 7 seconds into the match but it only got worse after that. Verona came back and scored 3 to win the match 3-1. That's when the Gattuso out shouts really heated up. We lost that match for a number of reasons, we were far too passive, we only took 4 shots on target, and we approached the match the same way we approached the Supercopa, which was a very cautious approach. We also made the same mistakes that we were making consistently at the time, conceding possession in dangerous areas, and getting caught on the counterattack, but like I've said in some of our recent previews, that was a very different time. We had a relatively full squad for that match, but neither Osiman nor Mertens were 100% fit, that was Osiman's first game back after missing 2 months with his shoulder injury and then Covid, that was also the 2nd of 2 games that Mertens played after his first ankle injury before he then missed another month recovering from the same injury. We were playing every 3 days at the time and the squad was visibly tired in that match and Verona had a very good match as well. The two standout players in that match were Antonin Barak and Matthias Zakani. I mentioned that Barak is suspended for this match and Zakani's form has really dropped off in the second half of the season, which is reflective of the form of the club as a whole. Our final key to the match is we cannot let up. I want to see a dominant performance, I want to see aggression, I want to see 3 or 4 or 5 goals, I don't want anything to be left to chance, I want to see more than what we saw against Fiorentina who had something to play for as far as bonuses related to the sale of Chiesa go but nothing to play for in terms of the position in the table and yet I don't think we won that match very convincingly, our goals came from a penalty kick and a fortunate deflection. Even though Verona have nothing left to play for, these are professional athletes and their natural instinct is to want to win. We need to score early and keep pushing for at least a second if not a third goal. We saw what happened the last time we met, we scored early, but we took our foot off the gas and they made us pay. The head official for this match is Daniele Kiffi. he's officiated 8 Napoli matches dating back to 2014, we have a record of 7 wins, 1 draw and no losses in those matches including the 6-0 win over Fiorentina and the 3-1 win over Bologna this season, both of which were at the Maradona. His assistants are Federico Longo and Filippo Valeriani, the 4th official is Francesco Forno, and Luigi Nasca is on the VAR, assisted by Dario Cecconi. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 2-1 Napoli win. I'll give the goals to Victor Osiman and Piotr Zielinski. To be honest, I was tempted to predict a far more lopsided win, but Verona are still a very sound defensive team. They've only conceded more than two goals on three occasions this season against Roma, Sassuolo, and Sampdoria. They've also scored at least one goal in six of their last seven matches. Meanwhile, we've conceded at least one goal in five of our last seven. I think we'll edge it out though. No team has taken all six points from us this season, so I don't think we're going to lose, and we've only dropped four points to two teams, Inter and Sassuolo, and both of those ties had unusual fixtures. We got a red in our first meeting against Inter, and we were still the better side in that one, and we conceded the late penalty in our second meeting against Sassuolo. I think this will be a very entertaining match. I was surprised at how entertaining Verona's match against Bologna was, considering that neither of those teams had anything left to play for. At the end of the day, though, this match is way way more important to us, including to our coach, regardless of whether he's back next season. I think we'll throw everything we have at them because why not? We have nothing left to lose, and I think we'll get the job done. So that will do for this preview. I hope you enjoyed the match. That will also do it for this episode. If you like what you heard, please share it with a friend and give us a 5-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at joe__fisketti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod. I'll be back next week with another episode of ForzaNapoli Worldwide, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. ForzaNapoli sempre! ma si fuie e la sta da sta e nun de coria pieso nun te fluie sul lago da da